0: Uh, well, there's going to be some show up, and all they're going to get is a business meeting today, all right? So we do have business meeting uh, right after uh, church, briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where I'd like you to turn today, if you would. Today we're thinking about offering our bodies to God for His service. And I entitled the message somewhat intentionally, provocatively, or at least I thought it was provocative, and that was bodily worship. Use your bodies for God's sake. Use your bodies. For God's sake, based on 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, which we'll read here in just a minute, but it says, glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. We have just about rounded the bases on uh, the series that we're in right now on worship. In fact, we're back really where we began. We were back in the book of Ezra, and we saw that uh, God had, had basically put an end to the temple and and the worship there in Jerusalem, because people were worshiping bodily, but not with their heart. Not with their heart. In other words, their hearts did not belong to God, and so it wasn't truly Christian worship. They were just doing merely outward religious things that they had been told to do, but their heart wasn't in it. And so... You know, it would be easy to go through and listen to where we've been and say, well, it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies, and that would certainly miss the point. Worship requires more than just outward form and bodily adherence to a set of things, just doing things. It requires more than that, but it doesn't require less than that, right? It requires the body, but also everything that we are. The body and worshiping with our bodies. The word worship envisions, really, it means to bow down, is one word that's used and translated worship to, to bow with our bodies. Another word that's trans or idea behind worship is to serve. And when you think about serving, you either think of playing tennis or you think of doing something for another with your body. And the truth is that we live terribly fragmented lives terribly fragmented lives and that is unhealthy it's unholy we're disjointed you know we we try to do one thing with our bodies and another thing with our hearts and it just doesn't work and God wants us to be healthy and whole and integrated in every part of our being you know uh, so what we've discovered is that worship really begins in the heart giving our heart to Jesus, having the Spirit of Christ to come alive and be present in the very core of our being. And then worship requires the continual renewal of our mind and our thinking. Also, worship requires that we bring our soul and all of the soul's mechanisms like our emotions and our feelings to bring those things under the lordship of christ and then worship requires that we give our bodies to god for his purposes so that's where we're at today worship begins in the heart renews with the mind includes our emotions or our soul but also our bodies Bodily worship. You know, we know something intuitively, though we think differently at times. And we know intuitively that every aspect of our life is housed in this body, right? Our body is our unique habitation where every aspect or dimension or component of our life is found. It's the material vessel that we have through which we make sense of the world and gain meaning, And we express ourselves in this world with our body. Hey, let me tell you something. You're not just a meatball with a mind. You're not just a spirit and soul on a totem pole. You are uniquely, exquisitely, fearfully, wonderfully made by God and enfleshed in a God-given gift called the body. And our body houses a brain or most people, (laughs) organs and glands that produce various life factors of all different kinds. Your body was constructed and designed by God to house billions of nerve endings by which you sense and perceive the world. We have a pack of intricate processes working at warp speed. You know, the circuitry of the soul. You can think about hormones and you can think about all these different things going on in this wonderful body through which our spirit, mind, and soul are operating. The body is not just some unholy, unhelpful appendage to your real being, which is your soul. No, your body is you. Your body is you. Now, we've been talking about different aspects of your person. But really, they are all integrated in your body. And it's so unfortunate that many people today, including a lot of Christians, have a very low view of the body. I would say an inadequate view of the body. Denying the powerful ways in which the body shapes who we are and expresses who we are. And our passage today really highlights that profound truth. That with our body, we act and we, listen, substantially change the world with our body. And as we act, we are substantially changed by what we do in the body. So 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to read verses 9 through 20. I preached on this maybe a year ago or so from a little different angle. But I think it's a passage that just captures quite well many of the things that we want to think about today today in bodily worship so let's begin 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals nor thieves nor the covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God hey listen such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Man, there's a lot there and we can't cover it all but the first thing i want you to do i want you to think with me about this idea of bodily worship and using your bodies for god's sake your body i should say here's the first thing that i think that means it means that we must acquire new habits that flow out from our new identity in jesus and i take that from verses nine through eleven We must acquire new habits that flow out from our new identity in Jesus. Paul, in verse 9, begins this whole laundry list of unrighteous things, unrighteous lifestyles, characteristics of the unsaved, especially for the people in Corinth. These things were going on. So that whole laundry list, and he says, Listen, some of you were just like that. Those were the things that you did as a routine before you were saved. But listen, you are a brand new person if you have come to Christ. Your identity has completely changed from the inside. And we have to learn to live from the inside out based on our true identity in Christ. We have to learn to put those things into practice, realizing that's who we are. So what does he say about who we are in Christ? He says, you were washed. You have been cleansed in Christ, purified from your sins. You were sanctified. That means you have been grabbed up by God and set aside for good and godly purposes when he saved you. He set you apart from the world for his purposes, and you were justified. When you trust Christ, we've been studying about this on Wednesday nights, That just like Abraham was declared right before God by faith. It wasn't by his works. The works came later. He was justified, vindicated, given right standing before God by faith. And that is the exact same way that we're saved. By believing in the Lord Jesus. That he died for our sins on the cross. That the debt penalty has been paid. If we will only believe, we are all of a sudden given right standing before God. That means we are justified. And he says, you were washed. You were sanctified, and you were justified in the Lord Jesus by a miracle of God, born again to new life. You are a brand new person. No matter what you have done in the past, no matter what you have been, no matter what sins you have committed, when you come to Christ, you are born anew. You have a brand new identity, but listen, you're not born as an old man in Christ. You're born as a brand new baby. And just like a baby has to toddle around and figure out how to walk. But before they walk, they crawl. And they have to learn to do all of these things. So we too, as Christians, have to be shaped by new habits that flow from our identity in Christ. And I think that we need to say today, habits are powerful. That's why a lot of people aren't in church today. Because they have not habituated to the time change. Right? The things we do, our body gets in a rhythm and we just naturally do certain things. And so it's so hard when all of a sudden our reality changes. We become habituated. In our lost state, the things that we do with our body become our habits. It's what we do. It's how we shape the world. It's how we are shaped by the world. We perceive and make meaning of the world. But we're doing it from idolatry We are worshiping ourselves when we're lost, but all of a sudden we're now our worshipers of Jesus, and so we need new habits. What were some of their habits and wrong desires and wrong loves and wrong patterns? Well, they were in all kinds of sexual sins, including going to prostitutes, maybe at temples. The Corinthians were famous for their after dinner, their big orgy-type parties, where they indulged the lusts of the flesh. There was this unholy trinity of gluttony with food, with alcohol, and with sex. They were indulging the flesh. And that was the pattern. Not only that, there was financial greed. It was about gimme, gimme, gimme. Selfish hoarding. All about my comfort and my security through money. Paul mentions those kinds of things. Cheating and swindling others. And so they had been habituated to a lost lifestyle. And they came to Christ. And Paul says, Such were some of you, but you've been changed. But you need new habits. They were still doing habitually some of the old things that belong to the lost nature. One writer who noted about habits, I thought this was powerful, he said, we become habituated and formed by our actions and by being acted on in the world. While renewal of the mind and developing greater understanding is important, it will not properly rehabituate the members of your body. Such transformation comes as we offer ourselves by faith to the right things and the right ways of being in the world in hopes of receiving the Spirit's grace in and through us. In other words, you can think all you want about holy things, but your habits of body need to change to align with your identity. And that will only come by faith putting yourself in a position to do the right thing and actually doing them. That's how it works. Do the right things. By faith, though, by trust in Jesus Christ and depending on the Spirit's power. James K.A. Smith, I quote him quite a bit. He's got some great books about these things. Here's what he says. I don't acquire the habits of a dancer by analysis and reflection. Though theory can serve my practice, the acquisition of habit happens in ways that exceed mere intellect. Habit, a way of my being in the world, is an embodied orientation that we learn. In other words, you don't become a great dancer by just studying other dancers and thinking your way there. You got to dance. Ball players. That's why you practice. You don't just go and listen to the coach, though he may draw all kinds of squiggly things on the chalkboard or on the marker board and tell you to do that. Then you go and you actually do it. You become habituated, hopefully, to the right things with your body. And so that is the way with worship. We have to learn new patterns and new things and use our bodies in service of the Lord Jesus even when we're used to not doing those things. And sometimes it's terribly awkward. Now, the struggle we have here is that we've been learning that we're supposed to worship from the heart. And our feelings should come along with it, but the fact is sometimes we don't feel like it. There is a truth that sometimes we have to forge ahead and do the right things by faith. Even when there are parts of us that are struggling. We do the right things by faith in hopes of the Spirit's empowerment in our life. You know, I've got this nice shirt that hangs in the closet and I uh, always get lots of compliments when I wear it. Oh, that's such a good color on you. I say, well, thank you. And I thought, well, why don't I wear that more? Because, you know, it's nice to look nice at church and all of that. And every time I put it on, I remember why I don't wear it more. Because it is missing a button on the sleeve. And now there's two there, and in fact, I want to show you this. There's two on this sleeve, but the outer one was missing. And I would have to use the inner one, and it was really tight and constricted. And that's my pointing arm for preaching. And it's tight, and I don't like it, but every once in a while I'd wear it. And so I pulled it out there, and I thought, good grief. Good grief I need to do something about that, so my wife wasn't around, and I knew she had a little sewing kit, and so it had an extra button, and I take it off, and I was like, "How hard can it be to wrap a little bit of rope around you know that button, a new button right there? And so I take that out, and man, it took me five minutes to thread the needle and and I tell you, if you've never sewed on a button, it ain't easy. That thing's squirming and going all over the place, and I'm glad nobody was in there. I was kneeling down on my knees. And I had this thing laid out on my bed and I'm trying to poke it through the deal and I poke my finger and I'm trying to stick it through the hole and the button's going off here and I'm, I'm tempted to not worship. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going, golly. And so I finally get it through a hole. Now, and then I think back, I thought, you know what, I've done this before. And it took me about an hour to make one loop around. And the first thing that happened, I tried to snap it and it just flew off. I go, I know this. I know i got to do it over and over. i got to thread those holes up, down, up, down, up, down. And really lash this puppy on there. So awkward. Even painful. Frustrating. But you know what? Once I had made the full course, then I had a guide. And it's like, then the needle would just go easily. And every pass I made, it got easier to go through the shirt, to hit the hole, and voila, look at this thing. It's holding. And if any of y'all want to see my handiwork after it's over, I'm going to show it to you, okay? I'm not hiring out just yet on this thing. But listen, to do this new thing that was a good thing, that was freeing and brought greater comfort, It was hard as I started. Almost seemed impossible. But as I continued to do the pattern, it got easier and easier and easier. And that's how life change happens. Sometimes it's awkward and we're prone to give up. But as we're thinking about serving the Lord with our body, it gets easier. We become habituated to the things of the Lord and to the kingdom. And so... We need to acquire new habits, new strengths, new patterns as we change, flowing out from a heart change. Our new identity as Christians, we've been washed, we've been justified, we've been sanctified and set apart. So we need to live out of that. All right? Then I think the Corinthians have some objections to this idea that we're not supposed to do certain things as Christians. They're clinging to the idea of Christian freedom and grace, that we're free for all things, to do all things. And I think there was a mantra that was going on in Corinth, and I think we see it in verse 12. All things are lawful for me as a Christian. We're no longer under the law, but under grace. So all things are lawful for me. And I think that's what Paul begins to address is this idea that everything is permissible for me as a Christian because I've been saved. This brings us to the second point today that bodily worship and using our bodies for God's sake recognizing recognizes that God is master over our bodies. And our bodies are not to be our masters. God is. That is a profound Reality verses 12 through 19. You know the Greek philosophers that that really even our Western civilization, their idea that makes it very difficult for us as Christians today if we accept it. This idea of dualism, that there is a distinct body and a distinct soul. Sure, they're housed together, but what really matters is the eternal soul or the mind, or the spirit. And the body really doesn't matter. And i tell you what these people did is use that line of thinking to justify all kinds of sinful things and to say, it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. What matters is that our heart or soul belongs to the Lord. That we have right thoughts, but we can do whatever we want with our body that idea of dualism as i said it permeates even many christians thinking today it's a justification to sin with our body and somehow feel that we're okay with god and okay with the things of the spirit i think the corinthian some of the immature christians were caught up in this kind of carnal lifestyle and paul says this listen you can say all things are lawful for you but he has two responses primarily But not all things are profitable. Not all things profit the kingdom and the ultimate purpose for which you were made, which you were born again. Like gluttony of food and drink and sexual immorality. You can say you're free to do those, but you recognize that they're actually not profitable as you pursue the things of God. Not only that, They're not profitable, but they threaten and have the power to become your master. And Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. I've already been mastered by the Lord Jesus Christ, and so have you. If you have claimed that Jesus is your Lord, that you are trusting him for your life and for eternity, you have bowed the knee and said Jesus is Lord, then he is master. He is the one you live for, not some earthly pleasure, food and drink and sex, those things can master you if you're not careful. Verse 13, I think again here's another mantra that Paul is repeating and then he's going to respond to it. And the mantra is, food is for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will do away with both. Here's what that means. They're saying, you know what, what we do with our body, it's just... and, and, and fulfilling the cravings of our flesh, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you eat pizza, you can have chips, you can eat a salad, whatever. It's just food. It's passing away. The stomach passing away. When you die, your body's going to rot anyway, but what matters is the eternal soul. I think that was their common retort. What's the big deal? Food, stomach, the stomach for food. What they were also indicating is that part of This region right here, the belly, included sexual desire. And I have these desires. And listen, God wants us to fulfill our desires just like he wants us to eat and stay alive. So he wants us to fulfill all of our sexual desires. And if we have the opportunity, we should just do that. So there are all kinds of ways in Corinth that you could fulfill your sexual desires that Christians should consider immoral. But some of these Corinthian Christians didn't consider it immoral. They said, look, listen, the body, we have sexual desire, so we need to fulfill it. And Paul hits that thing head on. And what I would say is they had a very low regard for the body and urges. They didn't see the spiritual connections. They would say, just like they say in our day, what's the big deal? We just need a thrill. What's the big deal? Our body is screaming to satisfy this urge. So we're happy if we just go and satisfy it, then we can move on to the next thing. Paul says, no, 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 no. Sex is not just a part of the natural life. Our spirits are tied in with what we do sexually. That leads us to the next thing, that worshiping God and using our bodies for God's sake requires that we adopt a high view of God's design for our human body. We need a high view, a higher view than the world about God's design for our human bodies. Yes, God made the stomach. He made food to satisfy the stomach. Yes, God gave sex as a gift. But that is not the primary purpose of you having a body. Here's what Paul says. He says, your body was created for something greater than sex. Sex is just a, a, a sign. It's just a gift that's meant to point us towards a greater gift. And that is communion and intimacy with the Lord. He said, our bodies were made for the Lord. And the Lord was For our bodies, you know, your body is used to mediate your presence, to have relationship. You know, I use my body, even if I text you, I'm still using my body. You understand that. I use my body to communicate with you and for us to have our friendship. Same thing with God. God created our bodies so that we could commune with him, walk with him, and to know him, to have friendship with him. And one day, folks, we will see the Lord face to face and we'll walk with him. For now, he has put his spirit in our lives and in our hearts. He actually, Paul says, when you become a Christian, something profound happens. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit, comes to indwell you in your body. That's what this teaches. And that's hard for us to fathom. But the Lord lives in us. So our body is made to walk with God. You can think about Adam and Eve walking with the Lord in the garden. That's what your body is for. First and foremost, before it's made to eat, before it's made for sex, before it's made to do any other thing, your body, understand this, is made for the highest primary purpose of knowing and communicating with God. That's why he gave you a body, to commune with him. I think that's what Paul means by the body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He has given us the capacity to know him and that is our highest purpose. And so here's all these Corinthians going, doesn't really matter what we do with our body. We can go to the prostitutes, we can do whatever because we're saved by grace. We're not under the law anymore. And Paul says, you're misusing your body. You're not worshiping the Lord with your body when you see it as just a vessel For your kicks and for your giggles. No, 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 no. You have not even understood sex. In this passage, Paul says something and it should alert us to something we need to see. He repeats the phrase, Do you not know? In other words, he's saying, There's something you do not understand that you need to know. What do you need to know? Verses 15 through 19. One of the things you need to know is about sex. And it's hard for me to think that Paul is going to teach these people about sex, but actually, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you were to go into some sort of uh, perverse place that traffics and deals in sex, and you come in and you say, you know, I, I'm a minister at the Baptist church, and I'm going to teach you something about sex. They're going to go, uh, hmm, probably not. And Paul says, you know, as, as much as you think you know about it, there's something that you obviously do not know Here's what you do not seem to realize. What I just said, that you, when you were born again, God has come to actually dwell with you and your spirits are joined together. The Lord is with you. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you are dragging around the Lord Jesus by his spirit. He actually indwells your life. And he says, do you not know this about sex? When you have sex with someone else, The two become one flesh. There is something, people sometimes describe as the mystical union, that there is actually a coming together of two into one that is just really beyond description. Something happens there. And he says, so when you go to a prostitute, there is something happening in your body and in your spirit, and you are joining the Lord Jesus with that prostitute. You are defiling the Lord by doing these things. Do you not know? He says, all of the other sins that you commit, you commit them outside the body. But you are sinning against your very own body when you commit sexual immorality. Man, he said, you should not be defiling your marriage bed. Whether it's a marriage bed that you have now or it's you're not married yet, but it's to come, do not defile that. You're messing it up. When you go and pervert sex, sex is this great gift that God has given a man and his wife to express intimacy and to grow in intimacy. And when you take that and you spew that stuff out and give your strength out in the streets, you are hurting yourself. You're defiling yourself and your marriage bed. And listen to this, even more important, you are defiling and messing up the relationship between you and the Lord. That close intimacy. He is with you. And you pollute that and you mess it up. Sex is powerful. There are things going on there that I think we really have no idea about. But Paul gives us, by divine inspiration, a little glimpse into these things. So he says, man, you can't just say, go satisfy your urges in whatever way is convenient. No, Don't pervert it. Don't twist it. Understand that sex is a unique thing that uniquely illustrates, if you will, the intimacy that we have with the Lord. But I need to get on to the positive purpose. Here's the thing. It would be easy to hear all of these things and go, man, that's a bunch of rules, that's a bunch of do-nots. Here's what we are to do. Here is how we positively Worship the Lord with our bodies and to use our bodies for God's sake. Here is the positive view. He says, you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. And so here's what you ought to do with your body. Glorify God with your body. Everybody say glorify. Glorify Glorify God. The one that you say you worship. Glorify God with your body. And that's a great mantra, isn't it? Glory to God. But what does that mean? How does that flesh itself out in our flesh? How do we glorify God with our bodies? And I want to try to end in some practical ways. I want you to invite you to think with me. How could you glorify God with your body? In other words, this is what you're supposed to go out and do when we leave this place today. Go use, not your soul, Oh, I'm glorifying God with my soul. Where is your soul? It's in your body. Go out with your body. Hey, pinch the person next to you and say, body. Do oh, it. Oh, we woke some people up. <laughs> That's a body. Most of you here today have a body. And you're supposed to glorify God with your body. What are some practical ways? And and I'll leave you to uh, add to the list, but here's where I would start. How do you glorify God with your body? Number one, take care of it. Take care of it. That would include eating, but not gluttonous like they were doing. Drink water. (laughs) Drink good things. Do all things in moderation. When it comes to that, hey, sleep, get rest, Take vacations that are vacations indeed, not just more work. Get rest. Sabbath, take time to rest your body. Shut the thing down. Shut it down. It needs to be rebooted frequently. All right? So eat, sleep, exercise. This is one. I'm guilty of this one, and I started thinking about that. I started thinking about those rare times in my life when I did exercise, and I thought how much better I felt. And could better serve the Lord because my body felt good. So those are some ways. How about this? Use your body to actually commune with the Lord. What would that look like? Using your body to go and pray. You know, you pray with your body and your spirit. Pray with your body. Read your Bible with your body. All right. Communicate. Communion with the Lord. I think most of us are guilty here of not really doing that. We don't know how to use our body for spiritual purposes. Of communing with the Lord, we need to figure it out. Here's a great one. Work. One of the purposes God gave to all of mankind is to go out and cultivate and subdue and have dominion over the earth. Do good works. Things that help people. Produce things. Work with your body even if that's only this part of your body. You can do good work like this. Not, it's not my favorite, right? But, but you can do that, but, but you use your body. Here's another one. Use your body to actually serve and love your family and your neighbors and your friends. To actually do something for the good of another person. That's what serving is. It's putting yourself under somebody. Say, I'm going to serve with my body. That could look like uh I would say making cupcakes, but I just said, you know what you need to eat healthy? That could be making a salad and taking it to your neighbor. Serve other people with your strength, with your body. I think that's one of God's good purposes. Here's another one. You got these two little red things right here. Lips that we use to speak and our tongue. We could glorify God with our body if we're careful about how we Use our words and our speech. People need to be built up, not torn down. We need to do better about that. I think that may be an area that we need to submit. I know all of us, especially me, need to submit control to the Lord. How about these little things right here? Your eyes and your brains that are kept in your body. Use them to look on good things, to actually meditate, to learn, to grow in knowledge You know what we do mostly with these things? Look at trash and filth and empty stupid stuff. Honestly. So much entertainment and garbage that we're bringing in and the eyes have such power to shape the soul, Jesus said. Your perception of the world can either be light if your eyes are light or it can be darkness if your eyes are darkness. What are you looking at with your eyes? What are you giving yourself to do with your mental faculties and what are you looking at? What are you, you know, some of us, and I'm guilty of this, man, I'm just surfing. So whatever some algorithm or whatever something comes up, that's what I'm looking at. How often do we intentionally go, I want to go and look upon things that are true and good and beautiful and think on these things, the things that are lovely. Use the arms and hands to help those who are weak and feeble and unable to help themselves. Use your feet to run to those who have need. And I think about how Paul talks about having our feet shod with the gospel of peace, running towards those who need to have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Use your talents and your capabilities. Dream big dreams for God. Do great exploits for the kingdom of God. So many Christians are sitting around passive with hands folded, Going, I don't really know what to do. Do something for the Lord. Use your body for God's sake. Something besides holding down a pew one time a week or a month. Use your bodies for the purposes that God has gifted you and called you to do. Do something. For the Lord. Do something for the kingdom. So many good things we could do. Where does it begin? We need to be gripped by this vision. That our bodies are for God's purposes. And for His glory. That's what they're there for. First and foremost. And ask, what would the Lord have me to do with my unique habitation that body that you're sitting there in and thinking through that is your unique habitation in this world that God has gifted to you and he wants you to use it for his glory and I think that in light of 1 Corinthians 6 we probably need to ask the question what are some of the old habits of the flesh that we're still walking in Every one of you and I have habits that began all the way back when we were in diapers. And we've just been cruising along in those habits. Are there habits that are not helpful? They are not profiting anything for the kingdom. And in fact, they are your master. Maybe you need to lay something down today. Some part that is habitual in your life, that is actually destructive. Maybe you need to lay something down today. Consider that. Today, would you commit to using your bodies, your body, for God's sake. Whatever he may be calling you to do. And that's where Christianity gets uncomfortable. It's nice if I can just sit passive and think about these things and do nothing with them. That's not Christianity. Jesus says, abiding in me means you abide in my love, my commands, and you obey me, and you bear much fruit. I want you to bow with me today. I just want to have a time of response that is right there where you sit. Actually, let me, let me ask you to stand. Let me ask you to stand with me. With our heads bowed and hearts engaged and minds engaged, I want to just ask you as we go into a moment of, of time of silence and prayer and consideration to start at the very top of your head just to pray through and think through what you're doing with the different parts of your body. And to think about which parts maybe need to be submitted to the Lord Jesus. Where old habits need to die and new habits need to take form and root. And as you go through those things I want you to just ask the Lord to help you to glorify Him with that part of you. Would you do that? From the top of your head down to your feet. Just take a moment silently praying through and giving each part of your physical body for the service of the Lord. Lord, today I pray that uh, as we begin to try to put into practice what Romans 12 says, that, that we're to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. That certainly means our bodies, we recognize, and the different parts and aspects of this physical body. So we want to do that, Lord. We want to give our minds and our thinking and our best time and our eyes and our senses, our words, our speech, our attitudes that are expressed in tones and voice inflections. Lord, and in the strength of our shoulders and arms and hands, I pray that you would show us how to use those things for the building of your kingdom, Lord, and our stomachs and our intimate parts, God, that... We would not allow these things to be our master and Lord, but that you would be our Lord and our appetites and our desires would be submitted wholly, completely to you to glorify God And what we eat and even drink. The Bible says that we can do our eating and drinking for the glory of God, and certainly there is a way we can do it that is not glorifying to you, but in fact obscures you the strength of our legs and with our feet as we go and travel and walk a path I pray that the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ would impel us and propel us to be a people taking peace and salvation to those who are in need Lord for every part of us every square inch that is yours that you've created and made today we want to submit to you and ask you to fill us up, empower us by your spirit, guide us with your word and with your truth into a higher existence in this world where we see how you can use us and our physical bodies to truly change the world and even for spiritual purposes. So help us as we submit our body parts and all of our lives in worship, and submission to you. We ask all of these things, believing in Jesus and in the spirit that has been imparted to us to empower these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand there, I want to do something a little different today. Sometimes we have kind of a cold, abrupt close to the service. And and there's such a thing as, as a benediction. A benediction is to call or invoke or ask for the blessing of the Lord on his people. And I want want to read a benediction to you from Hebrews chapter 13. It's just verses 20 and 21 as we go. To seek the blessing of the Lord on his people who are gathered here. And I'm going to read it. And I'm just going to ask for you to say at the end, if that is your wish and your desire to receive that from the Lord, you can respond this way. Say amen. Amen means let it be so. Let it be for me, Lord. Amen. So here's the benediction, the blessing that we're inviting the Lord to give to his people. When I finish reading together, we'll just say amen if that's our prayer. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.